Warning, this episode contains spoilers for the whole of season two of The Umbrella Academy. Hello and welcome to Brolly Buddies, the podcast in which we discuss the Netflix adaptation of The Umbrella Academy episode by episode. With me, Mia. And me, Josh. And today we are talking about season two, episode one means it is actually a return to an episode-by-episode episode breakdown now. Yeah, it is. Because last time was all of it. Yeah, yeah. the last episode was just, here's everything, but also not in any depth. Yeah, so this is our deep dive. Oh yeah, we're going swimming, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously we've got a slightly different format this season, where we watch the entire thing in one go, and in a bid to try and keep that element of uncertainty in the kind of like how we watched it when we watched it after each episode we recorded what we thought was going to happen in the next episode so starting next week we will be including short voice notes we made where we actually discussed what we thought was going to happen in the following episode we forgot to do one for episode one I would argue that we did do that and it was a podcast episode that we did. <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. If you want our voice note for episode one, go listen to the podcast where we discuss what we thought was going to happen. But yeah, starting next week, we will have voice notes with our predictions, which are inevitably going to be very wrong. I like how you're sounding very Yorkshire today, Josh. I listened back to the podcast for the first time and realised that I have not been speaking in my normal voice. Been using my phone voice. <laughs> This is real Yorkshire Josh, so enjoy it. Shall we go into the episode? Let's do it. Um, We are going to revert back to doing our season one favourite of reading out the Netflix synopsis and judging it, just just judging those synopsis writers. So, episode one, right back where we started. After dropping his siblings into an alley in Dallas, in different years, Five scrambles to track them all down and stop a new doomsday threat. What do you think, Josh? It's pretty accurate. It's actually, you know what? That is a pretty good synopsis. It doesn't give away too much. Nothing that you wouldn't have got from the trailer, at least. It does imply that he intentionally dropped them. When you read it, it sounds like he dropped them off, like a school run. Maybe. Or like dropping, like when, you know, you're holding too many things and you're just like, blip, blip, blip. That is what happened. That is actually what happened. That is what happened, yeah. Yeah. I'll give him a nine. I'm feeling cheeky. Oh, you're feeling a bit cheeky. feeling generous. That's nice. I think that is a perfect synopsis, really. I'd give it a 10. Why not? You know, nothing wrong with it. So maybe this helps when we give ratings to things in general. For me, a 10 isn't just that there's nothing wrong with it. An 8 or 9 is nothing was wrong with this. Yeah. But 10 is when it was nothing wrong with it and it was better than I expected. Because you, you, yeah, you, you have to include exceeds expectations. 10 out of 10 doesn't mean that there was nothing wrong with it. It means that that was better than I thought it was going to be. That's true, you're right, you're right. Otherwise, what number do you use for that? 11 out of 10? That's nonsense. This is why rating systems are dumb and I hate them. Um, So, shall we get into the actual episode itself? Let's. First of all, okay, so we open off. Not with, right, Netflix tricked us because they were like, here's the opening scene, guys, we're releasing it before Friday. And then it was was like the scene that is a little bit of the way in because first of all, we get this recap of what happened in... By the way, I did not realise it was Pogo's voice doing that opening narration until I was watching it with the subtitles on and it was like, Pogo, in April, whatever it is. You know what, I've forgotten Pogo's voice. Yeah. It's been so long since I've heard it. I know. Poor thing. 
But anyway, so Pogo narrating. Uh, love that literally the world ended on April Fool's Day in 2019. Thought it was also worth thinking about what actually happened on that day, because it was a real day that we all lived through. And quite a few bad things did actually happen. But also, one of them, on the more humorous side, there was a little protest in the House of Commons where some protesters got naked and like showed their bums to, <laughs> to uh, the house. They mooned the house. <gasps> Oh my god, the connections. It's incredible. It's like they knew what was happening. Wow. I'm glad we covered that. Real important stuff. And then we have, yeah, this whole scene of Klaus and Ben arriving before the one that we were shown with five. And we get the first of many, many fart jokes this season from Klaus. Where's everybody? Oh, they're gone. They're gone like a fart in the wind. Just me and you again. I'm going to stop us briefly here. How do we feel about the fart jokes? Yeah, now that we have the foresight, hindsight? Hindsight. It's hindsight, isn't it? But it's weird because we're talking about the future. Hindsight, because we watched it. (laughs) The hindsight of all the fart jokes to come. I don't know. It it just felt like there were a lot this season. You know what? There was a normal amount of fart jokes. And that's a weird sentence, but you got like a little bit of like a fart poof or whatever. Like, yeah, all right, that's a joke. And then there was like the Luther in the elevator fart. Yeah, that's fine. It was the, I stand by it as being just too much. It was the paradox psychosis farts where there was just about 20 of them in one episode. <laughs> we'll get onto that in the future, but I'll accept this fart joke as being within the bounds of reasonable. He mentions farts. It's not a joke that's based on the noise of a fart. It's not a silly sound effect joke. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they threw a lot of these in because this season deals with so much heavy stuff and they were like, quick, fart jokes! (laughs) But yeah, I think, I I don't know, I kind of agree. It's fine. We get a lovely bit of Bobby Darren in the soundtrack and there are a few things to notice. So Klaus and Ben, the first ones to come back. And when I was watching it through again, I was thinking about the way that they all land when they come back in like through the little time portal which is just really interesting and I think already like says a lot about their their characters that we kind of already know but you know Klaus and Ben arrive they fall to the ground in like quite a comical way like Klaus's legs are up in the air it's daytime it's kind of like there's nothing really wrong here like it's wrong this is not where they're supposed to be but they're kind of not in any danger there's no imminent threat there's no imminent threat things are pretty chill when you get Alison coming back, it's nighttime. She kind of also falls down, but it feels a lot more like serious and scary. She feels a lot more vulnerable. She's on her own. Um, she can't speak. She can't speak. She's scared, obviously. Like when everyone else lands, they call out each other's names, apart from no one calls for Klaus because, I mean, maybe he's unreliable. Maybe they're dickheads. Both things can be true at the same time. So that's Alison. When we have Luther, who. <laughs> My little pet name for him in my head this season is Lulu. He has like a really... He like lands in a bin, I think. Lands on a bin. Okay, on a bin. He lands on a bin. It's raining. It's a bit like... uh, Bit of a joke. Everything kind of about his intro to it is quite like... Tragic comedy, maybe? Yeah, as we'll maybe come on to a bit later on. We've mentioned that his arc is very much about vulnerability. And maybe removing that kind of, I'm a serious leader type figure. Like, it's getting rid of that. Like, a lot of the character building for Luther this season is about making him more vulnerable and maybe more likeable. 
Yeah. And part of that is there is, I cannot, I cannot remember the specific places coming from, but there is evidence that showing vulnerability actually makes people like you more. Mm. So a tip we learn from Luther this season, which does actually work in real life, is you should never think that showing vulnerability or empathy towards others will stop people liking you or make you less likable. It's often the opposite. Mm -hmm. Showing vulnerability is a key way to actually make friends. Mm -hmm. It's very important to be comfortable with being vulnerable. So... It's a good, really good thing we see from Luther this season. Very proud. Diego arrives, lands like a little cat in the alley. Um, yeah, I noticed that. It lands on his feet, right? Yeah, everyone else is just like on the floor or on a bin or whatever. And he lands on his feet, um, kind of immediately like doing a little bit of a recce of his situation. Also nighttime, Vanya like falls on her face, is very like panicked. She did just have... A massive outburst of powerful energy and a gunshot next to her head so it's fair and then of course five five kind of stumbles he ends up on the ground we see his little bowling shoes and i love i love that that is still there he's still wearing them i will mention that a little bit later on. oh will you oh very good yeah so i just thought that was a really i thought that was a really good way that they kind of set up all the different sort of character arcs you're yeah there's there's that and you also see not just how they land, but maybe with each one you see a little bit more about the character arc, what they do afterwards. So we obviously, yeah. like an obvious one, for example, is Alison going into the diner and not being allowed to be there. And then another one I noted, well, before I said Luther and the vulnerability, got Diego, we see the start of his hero thing when he stops the mugger. Mm-hmm. Like that's him being like, I'm a hero again. <laughs> and then something I did notice with Vanya is she, she's holding her head when she lands, which made me think about it. Kind of something I'd assumed, but maybe the memory loss wasn't from the car accident. Mm-hmm. The memory loss was from... Don't know how to describe it exactly, but I think there's an aspect of... You know, later on in the series, we see her inside the white violin. Yes. And we talked a little bit about maybe that being like the Jean Grey, Phoenix Force type thing, where it, it consumes her. I think that when she went all white violin at the end of season one... She can't fully remember it because that thing is removing her as a person. It's literally the power consumes her yeah. and it consumes that thing. And that's why the, the, she's holding her head when she lands, I think, is a key thing in maybe looking at it. I don't know, because it's kind of passed off as it was the car crash that did it. Mm. But I don't think it is. I think it's that character arc is her discovering who she is, having almost been... Con- that, that baptism of fire mm-hmm. at the end of season one almost. You know, that, that going through this trauma almost allows her then to start again. Yeah. I mean, it's passed off as being a car crash because she doesn't remember anything before that and no one's going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because you came, you travelled through time from 2019 where you destroyed the world. That's why your memory's gone. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I think you're right with that. And then I guess the the found thing is, I think it's maybe, given where the series ends, Klaus and Ben landing together, but they leave separately. And also, when they say it's you and me again, when they land. But, you know, the, the big part of them is them learning to be separate and not separate and I don't know. There's also, when, when Elliot sees them out of the window, he obviously only sees Klaus because he can't see Ben. So it's like almost a bit of foreshadowing there and that as well in that kind of journey that he's going to go on. Spoilers, by the way. <laughs> 
So there's a couple of other little things that we see in the opening as well in terms of kind of like clues or fun fun things that the, that the characters. So one is they all arrive in the same place, obviously in different times, but we have like the cinema there for a few of them. So um, uh, when Klaus and Ben land, like the film that they've got showing on is Curse of the Undead. It's a real film, very, very apt for, uh, for Klaus and Ben, given that obviously Ben is dead, but kind of still there. For Alison, the film is The Curse of the Werewolf. And then Vanya has got the film The Kiss of the Vampire. So I, I looked up the uh, Wikipedia for this film. It, it, it involves a vampire cult. So obviously, like, knowing what Klaus does, I just love that there's, like, a little cult reference there. But also, um, I thought this bit was interesting. The cult abducts Marianne and contrives to make it appear that Harcourt was travelling alone and that his wife never existed, which kind of fits in with Vanya in a way in that she ends up thinking she's alone. Like, she was meant to be travelling with all of the others, but then they get separated, she's alone, she doesn't know that they exist. And she literally yeah, loses all her memories of them. So I quite enjoyed that. The werewolf one? Mm-hmm. Because it's... I don't know. I was trying to work out if the film's related directly to the person where we saw them in. But I don't think something that was just to do with the year they landed. But, intentional or not, Lila does refer to Diego as Wolfman mm-hmm. in this episode. There's, a, there's quite a lot of wolfy stuff, actually, in this one. Because he's a lone wolf. Um, I remember there is another thing with the curse of the werewolf which is basically it's sort of about a werewolf who is raised by adopted parents, although in this they are nice. But I think the, the main kind of crux of the parallel that I, I could draw with Alison from it was this person who is a werewolf getting these violent impulses and things, but being kind of calmed by the nature of their partner and like not using them. And it kind of parallels like Alison. If you look at her power as that kind of like potential for violence whether physical or not especially given the way she uses it exactly. in a later episode yes and the fact that she she resists from using it partly because of the rest of her past but also because of raymond and how she wants to be with him and rebuild her life and then like you say the way that she does then use it i just thought it was an interesting little parallel there yeah so those films are a fun little bonus as well as well as kind of setting the scene of where the fact that they're all in different times or like actually quite close together because a few of them have got the same film on. We obviously are also introduced to Elliot in this just via his like taking of the photos of them. We get an early introduction to Statler's, the restaurant, the diner, that plays a very important role in the in the season for like a few characters. Klaus has got an important scene in there. Alison has got a few important scenes in there. So that's kind of introduced early on as the place that Alison like runs into and starts to realise where she is. I think that like it's a catalyst for her arc in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then obviously also JFK. He's introduced right from Klaus and Ben's landing. This is like pre his election and there's like a vote Kennedy for president poster. And then obviously Diego sees the video, which also like just feels very Diego, doesn't it? Like the speech of ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It's that like hero calling sort of thing and Diego in that moment is like I can save him that's what I can do so yeah they they kind of set all that stuff up very early and then we get to the big opening sequence that we got teased early so when five lands there is something I noticed I want to ask Mm -hmm. he finds the newspaper right Soviets attack US what is this 
whatever it is. I was actually quite a good impression was that. <laughs> you did a good five last time as well. Um, but anyway, the point is, when do you publish a newspaper? For then, it's like you only see newspaper, world ends. Thinking, who are you publishing it for? And over what time? But like, how much? No, if you got 24 hours notice, that they get like, Soviets attack US. I mean, was it like a couple of them landed? And they were like, oh shit, there's a couple of Soviets here. Put it on the, put it on the headlines. Or was it like, the Soviets attacking the US, we're fucked. Publish it now and run. Who's distributing it? Yeah, no, why is it just there? Yeah, who's the, what is the distribution network for? A newspaper. Three days before the end of the world. I guess in fairness, it could be the Soviets attacking the US, like it would, it would happen quite quickly, but like it would still be, it's they're not going to immediately be like in this street in Dallas, Texas. Can you remember if it was a local newspaper or a national one? Oh, good question. I can't. We can have a look. No, don't worry about it. I mean, to be fair, I don't know enough about 1960s <laughs> US print media to understand. Because like the New York Times is national, but it's called the New York Times, so I don't bloody That's know. That's very true. Also, though, actually, you say that, like, that's how he finds out what happens in um, in the first season yeah. as well. He, like, picks up the newspaper. Wait, does he? Am I making oh, yeah, that? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he newspaper. does. <laughs> it's like, apocalypse. Who's how? publishing this? Who's publishing apocalypse newspapers? That was obviously also a very different apocalypse to the one that actually then happened because of various other things. So I wonder, like, again, like, how did that newspaper get published? Like, if it was, if it was the moon thing, no chance. If it was something else, I don't know, maybe it that's was fine. the moon. It was the moon either way, wasn't it? Was it? Why? What else were gonna cause it? He did say something about the moon, didn't he? I don't know, I can't remember. Well he didn't know what caused it, but what else would have There was no moon in the this sky is... in the future. We're on season two. Yeah. We'll listen back to season one of us and then we'll figure out what we thought at the time, because I've forgotten. <laughs> um so we've got the big fight scene, which is the one which was teased by Netflix. I haven't made too many notes here, mainly because I feel like the the scene speaks of it itself in a lot of ways. But we do see quite a bit of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see Vanya using her powers for good. That's an important thing to note. Oh, also their outfits match the ones they wear at the end in the final fight scene we see with them versus the commission. Klaus isn't just using Ben mm-hmm. with his powers. That's important. Yeah, Ben and Klaus are kind of separate. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing... I don't think we've been seeing that much about Ben that foreshadows stuff, because it would give away a lot, wouldn't it? To mm-hmm. be honest, just that they're separate. Alison Speaks, yeah. which obviously is like, bloody hell, how's that happened? I'm still not sure how they fixed it. In the comics, they have to, the only way they can fix their throat is through magical future technology, so whatever. You see Luther defend Klaus, which I mentioned when we were watching that scene for the first time. We don't see Luther attacking someone, we see him taking that... Also, I've been thinking about this because I read a, a, an article where someone said, how come he can take a rocket there, but when he's getting punched about in the, in the ring, ring. Yeah. he gets, you know, blood coming out of him and that. I think it's his gorilla body that, mm-hmm. is, in, that is impervious to damage to a certain degree. Whereas his face and legs, very weak. It's very lucky, really, isn't it, that it, it hit him in the back and not like, ooh, a little bit higher in the head. Ooh, Luther's or gone. his butt, do you reckon? I mean, I don't want to think about... I don't want to talk about it too much, but now and again, I do wonder about the, the physiology of Luther because he is very triangular. Like the transition from gorilla back to butt. Not just that, but like your lower body, it has to be quite strong to handle your upper body if it's big. His butt is having to hold like... Because you, you, your bum and your thighs and all that kind of... It all works together to support your lower back. Now, his lower back is huge, mm-hmm. but his bum and legs seem normal-sized. 
So does that mean he's permanently got a bad back? He did spend a lot of time on the moon, so maybe also like the gravity situation had a little effect. And that, that would make him have weak bones. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there's a I'm lot surprised of... he can even walk. Anyway, and the um, <laughs> I've got a question then because Hazel turns up, and I'm sure Mia's got a lot to say about Hazel. Mm-hmm, but I want to just ask, how did he know where to find five? That was my question as well. How did he know where to find five? We'll talk about it in a minute. When Imagine we get to if that he turned scene. up 30 seconds late. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, I'm late again. Oh, sorry, Agnes. Has he, has he done it like five or six times? Uh, no, he's not here yet. Too early. God knows. We're going to have to get onto that. Imagine if he turned up at the other end of the street and you saw him jogging <laughs> down the street. Five! Five! Old timer! Old timer! Come on! Got to bloody go! But yeah, that was yeah. That's, that's, that's it for the fight scene. And then they zap backwards ten days. I mean, also, there's a big nuke that destroys the world, which is crazy to see. But I like how they used it Um, this season. They're obviously doing the titles a bit differently. Last season, it was always like on an umbrella. This season, I enjoyed how in episode one, it comes up over the mushroom cloud, which is kind of umbrella shaped. 32. Yeah, good one. But yeah, then they they zap on back to... They've also changed, sorry, very briefly, I think about the titles and stuff. The bit that says a Netflix original series... I did notice, because I accidentally opened up Series 1, Episode 1. They've made that Umbrella Academy kind of font now. Mm -hmm. Rather than before, it was just like standard serif font almost. It's a big dog show now. It's a big dog in the Netflix fight. (laughs) Fight? I don't know. I said big dog, and then I was like, where does that come from? fighting? Other shows. Amazon. I don't know. Amazon are never going to compete with Netflix in terms of original series. Okay, so they zap on back to 10 days prior and Hazel kind of explains what's going on. Okay. What the hell was that? The end of the world, November 25th, 1963. 63? You know, Hazel, I'm no history buff, but I don't recall there being a nuclear holocaust. No shit. What about my family? Dead, like everyone else. And where am I now? Dallas, same street, 10 days earlier. Plenty of time to restore the timeline and save them. So where do we start? We, you're on your own, pal. I'm just here to keep a promise to Agnes. Hazel doesn't give a shit anymore. All he wanted was Agnes. He's had his life. He's ready to die now. So maybe he's just like, yep, this is what it is, five. I'm just going to tell you. I'm, I'm not really that invested in this. I'm doing it because I kept. I made a promise, which, by the way, my heart. Have you got the question written down? What was the promise to Agnes? Yes, I do. I said, what promise? How does he know what's happening? How do they know? Did what, they move around? What's her promise? Like, what was she like? Oh, please look after those Umbrella Academy children. But, did she really interact with the Umbrella Academy no. children? Or was she like, oh, uh, did, the did they find end. out? Yeah, don't let the world end. Because did they know it was happening when they moved back from 2019? Moved back. No, they knew that. <laughs> That it was going to end in 2019. Yeah, so maybe maybe it was like a don't let the world end. Maybe it was... Or be a good person. Yeah. It could have been something really broad. And we're just lucky interpreted it in this way. <laughs> be a good person. She's thinking, just give a bit of money to charity and that. And he's like, all right, we'll stop the world ending. <laughs> I'm really interested as well. When did they jump back to... Well, that's exactly what I mean as well, because, like, is there the potential that they knew this was going to happen? And how the hell does that work with timelines? I have no idea. But did they live that 20 years that they had together in one place? Or did they, like, travel through time and have adventures together? I'm going to say, like, theoretically, if they prevented the end of the world in 2019, could they have jumped forwards and found a cure for the cancer? Mm, 
I guess the Umbrella Academy fecked it. Yeah, probably did feck it, didn't they? Well, the world the world ended, so yeah, they could, they they didn't know they couldn't go past that point. But yeah, it was really nice to see that little bit of her in flashbacks. Honestly, I think she deserved better, and I wanted her in season two, and I'm really sad. It's fine; she didn't need to be in season two, but I miss her. Such a quick like throwaway. Yeah, Agnes is dead. I also liked how Five showed some empathy and was like, "Oh, I'm really sorry, Hazel." Well, that's one of the things, isn't it? We see mm. more vulnerability from Five in this mm-hmm. series. And I'm glad that they did have 20 years together. It's a sweet little couple. Watching However, birds. Hazel's own life was brutally cut short by a group of Swedes. Now, in the UK, there is a vegetable called a Swede, <laughs> which is a kind of turnip, I believe. I believe it might even be a Swedish turnip, and that's where the name comes from. Now, the only problem I kind of have is that whenever someone says the Swedes... I'm not like I know that people from Sweden are called Swedes, but I've spent more of my life knowing the word Swede to refer to a vegetable than to refer to a to a nationality. Mm-hmm. So it means that whenever someone's like the Swedes, I genuinely think about the vegetable first. It's only very brief. It's like a flash in my brain where I first of all visualize a Swede, the vegetable, and then I'm able to visualize the three of them. But if you imagine whenever you see the Swedes, that to be a little vegetable instead. Very, very different programme. <laughs> wow. Murderous vegetables. That sounds like some carnist propaganda to me. Swedes, by the way, very tasty vegetable. Mm. Very nice mashed. Mm, that's if true. Carrot and sweet. Yeah, carrot and sweet mashed. If you don't add it, try it. <laughs> and tune into our other podcast, Cooking. Food Friends. Food Friends. <laughs> Food Friends by Brolly Buddies. <laughs> yeah, do you think he was wearing a suit? So maybe he, uh, you know, travelled immediately back from a little funeral. Probably not. I don't know. I think he only has one outfit. There's a lot of issues here with some of these people only having one outfit. Mm. What do you think of the Swedes? We talked about it a bit in our other episode, but I think they work well as this. Here is the threat. Yeah, I think they were good villains in this first episode, but I do miss the kind of like the Hazel and Cha Cha fun. But. That's because we know by the end of the series that the true villains are not the Swedes. Yeah. And that's the difference, I think. So this is also, I think, the first time we see something that showrunner Steve Blackman revealed uh, is kind of hidden throughout the season. So there are 43 sparrows hidden throughout the season as little Easter eggs. 43 obviously being a significant number because that is the number of women who gave birth, the number of original children that there were. That the Hargreaves were some of. Oh, interesting point. I want to stop very briefly. This is where I jump back to the comics sometimes. It's a comic spoiler. Jump ahead about 30 seconds if you're that bothered by it. But in the comics is revealed that Luther and Five are born of the same woman. Yes. They're actual siblings. And that's the thing they actually use to manipulate Alison in the comics at some point. Is they threaten to kill uh, five's mother before she can give birth to five which Alison isn't as bothered about as the fact that would also mean that Luther wouldn't be born and she loves Luther so as one of 43 because I was convinced it was 42 and that would explain 43 but that's just a brief bit of trivia for you yeah I, f- I completely forgot about that so there's these hidden sparrows everywhere 43 because that's the number of kids sparrows because the sparrow academy so on our rewatch now, we're going to look out for all of them. And we see the first one on the milk van that the Swedes then use. 
Yeah, I got that one. I think I found less than you in this episode. But I found that one. So one each. Tick. So, also of note here, when Five is warping away from them, when he's on the roof, bowling shoes. When he warps down to the alleyway, uh, where he sees Elliot or um, discovers Elliot, the bowling shoes are gone. Is that when it happens? Oh, good eye. Yeah, I noticed. I was like, hold on, why is his shoes gone? So he changes shoes. He zaps away and he's like, change my shoes. I've caught you. I've caught you. I've caught you with your plot holes. <laughs> Nothing gets past Detective Josh. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. I wonder why that happened. Because there's so good continuity on a lot of other things. I know, but I, th- I think it's purely because no one wants to be walking around in bowling shoes for the entire thing. Mm-mm. And he's not going to change his shoes, is he? Where's he going to find little kiddie shoes? <laughs> I mean, there were children in the 60s. I mean, they also walked in front of a children's clothes shop. Yeah. Maybe that's what he did. Maybe he was just like, zoop, in here, grab some shoes, get it changed. We just didn't see it, that's all. All right. You can explain away anything. So we meet Elliot. I love Elliot. What a great character he is. I love how Five... I think we see like how shrewd Five is in this whole beginning bit, like sussing out the situation and what's going on. Sees Elliot through the window, sees all the like equipment on the top, goes to see him. I love how he... Starts off trying to use his youth and doing this like kid act of like, oh, I'm selling encyclopedias for my youth group. And then when that doesn't work, he's like, all right, fuck it. Um, I've got powers. And Elliot's reaction to that. And then how Five, he's so observant and he uses all the stuff that he can see about Elliot to just let him come to his own conclusions about how what kind of like alien Five is or whatever. Now, of those conclusions, mm. very appropriate, in my opinion, that they mention Area 51 and Roswell, because I believe... That is actually why the Majestic 12 killed JFK. Mm-hmm. Oh. I love his, like, comedy physical acting in this scene. Elliot's. It's very good. And also I think we get, like, a tiny bit of hints of his backstory of, like, Eleanor presumably being his ex, who we then later find out left him for his best friend on their anniversary because he is obsessed with aliens. You also kind of get that... In, I, I realised in the second watch that the signs up outside... Like, because it was his dad's dentist thing. Mm. So there's, like, dentistry, like, plaques on the doors and stuff. Yeah, I was trying... Is that what DDS means? I think so. I was like, yeah, why is it Morty? Mortimer, whatever. Doctor of Dental Surgery. I don't know if that's true, but I'm guessing. I'll take it. We also get a little bit here again of, like, Luther being referred to as the big sensitive one. Yeah. Where we're reinforcing this thing of Luther's arc being about him showing sensitivity and less dickheadness. And that also, he was, I mean, he's the one who arrived and cried a lot, apparently. Uh, another interesting thing I thought here was when he's talking about, like, Diego's arrival, when he gives, like, the mugshot thing to five, and he's like, arrival number four. And I feel like it's the first hint at their old numbers not meaning anything anymore. Because, like, obviously Diego is originally number two. This is him as, like, he's being categorised by this new numerical thing now, which is that he was the fourth one to arrive. And That's a good it, point, actually. That comes back into it later, obviously, with his whole Team Zero thing. Also just want to give a shout-out to the little the headline of, and description of Diego as a disturbed man with multiple knives. Pretty accurate. I agree, the most accurate description of a character in this TV programme. Yeah. And we get like an idea of like where he might be, I suppose, as well. And so, yeah, let's move on to Diego and group therapy. Yeah, so we see Diego in this asylum, 
But before we actually get to him in the asylum, we have Sparrow number two. Did you see it? I missed this one until you showed me. Oh, yeah. So there's a sparrow on the wall of the bathroom as, it, as we sort of go in and, and we're tracking through the corridor. And on the left, you can see a little sparrow on the wall, which is cute. I'm enjoying this sparrow spotting game, but also it's really distracting <laughs> while we're watching through. And I'm trying to make notes, but I'm also like, was there a sparrow there? Was there? Is it there? But it's fun. So what did you think about Diego in this? Two things, I think. One is the obvious one, which is the, the irony that he clearly does need therapy. Mm-hmm. And then my other note was that he makes a Luke Skywalker joke, which serves two purposes. Mm-hmm. One, to position himself as a person from the future, making what should be a pop culture reference everyone understands. But two, he thinks of himself as Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. A new hope, the hero, the Jedi, all these things, like like the, the one person to like fix this all. Hashtag hero complex. And then maybe also, theoretically how he thinks himself is the last one of the Umbrella Academy almost mm. trying to save things because there is actually a film called The Last Jedi but he is up until the end of like the, in the first trilogy like the last Jedi who can stop you know the Empire and stuff so yeah also noted that everyone's smoking yeah I noticed that as well it's really smoking. weird they're all smoking they're all smoking inside and it's so weird whenever it's in any kind of like it is I don't know is it medical but it's weird seeing it in this sort of medical setting Especially, I think. It gives you that same kind of jarring feeling as if you watch something that looks like it should be now, but they are not wearing masks or doing all the things from the pandemic. <gasps> oh which my God, yes. doesn't happen with everything I watch, because some stuff I'm able to position it far enough outside. I think it's like, if it's anything that we weren't watching before the pandemic, so like we watched Jane the Virgin, it's fine. But anything else, it's a bit like, whoa, what are they doing so close together? Yeah. So obviously this is our first introduction to Lila as well, who we didn't really talk about that much in our last episode, but is one of the standouts of this season. Um, I love her. Uh, That's all. I think I really like how you see the layers of, well, yeah. Because she seems more crazy here than she does as the series progresses. Mm -hmm. But I also think you do see the parallels between like the poor parenting and the, the you you know being used as an experiment or as a tool i also liked in this scene i liked how they use it as a review i was like because we didn't know why he was going to be in mm-hmm. this mental health institution what, what should we call it in fact i want to i think i think at this time they might have been called asylums yeah but that carries a lot of bad connotations so we might use them interchangeably Old-timey psychiatric hospital where they do bad things. Yeah. But we see why. It's not clear at first. I was thinking, is it because he... Did that woman complain about him because he did whatever? Because I didn't know the, the address was important. Yeah. At the, you know, when with Elliot reveals it. But it is that he's going on about JFK getting assassinated. And it's weird, right? Because it's one of those things where they always say, like, if, if someone came back from the future being like, there's going to be a pandemic. And if someone goes back to 2018 being like, it's going to be a pandemic. The world's going to end. We need to fix everything. We need to fix it all. You'll be like, all right, mate, come on. Let's calm you down, shall we? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he's telling the truth. But at the same time, you can see why he's not exactly going about it in the most cooperative way. It's because he's doing it as a lone wolf, trying to stop it and fix it and actually change things. My guess was that he was like, oh, the end of the world. I need to stop the end of the world. So it's kind of close, but also not. But basically the same thing of he brings something, some sort of knowledge back from the future and people think he's crazy. 
Sounds kind of right. Again, we talked about it a bit last time, but this therapist is hitting on all these things of like, you're defining yourself in opposition to your father rather than you yourself. And it's true in a lot of ways. But this is not the kind of therapy that he needs. Did you notice that we think it's just like her agreeing with him maybe at that point? She's like, I'm a lone wolf too. Both of them are. She is actually a lone wolf. She's this solo assassin, whatever she is. But by the end, neither of them are. Mm-hmm. Oh, she kind of is, isn't it? I guess she kind of is. We don't know what happens to her afterwards. But yeah, the Diego and Five conversation. They're not happy to see each other, are they? No. Well, Five is kind of happy to see him, but he's kind of like, oh, fuck, no wonder. He's, he's annoyed at him because he thinks that he's the reason the world ends. Mm. What I did notice, which feels vaguely important, given the character arc of Diego, when Five says... The world ends probably because some like idiots doing this stuff. He's like, "Oh, I'm gonna do it anyway." I succeeded. By the end of the series, there's the bit where he's like, "JFK is still killed," and they he kind of accepts it. Mm. And we discussed why that was when we did the series recap episode. But it does, um, I think, it's reinforced here the idea of him understanding maybe being a hero isn't about being in the limelight and being the the lone wolf, the single like, you know, great victor or whatever. Didn't you find it interesting as well, though, that after everything, Diego doesn't believe five when he says that there's an apocalypse in ten days? Yeah, they, they all have that, don't they? Well, and this one makes more sense, because it's like, there can't be an apocalypse in ten days, because 30 years from now, roughly, I will be born. Yeah. <laughs> and therefore I would not exist if the apocalypse happens. And that's when you get into that thing of, like, how does time travel work? Do you do Back to the Future? You slowly fade away. If you cause your own existence to end, or is it a separate thing? I think we're clearly not in Back to the Future time travel rules. No. But instead it's that kind of concept more of they go back in time, and that's their own timeline. They've they've caused a branch rather than an erasure of their own. So they're affected from a different branch in the future, which is appropriate for when we get to the end of it. It's important to establish time travel rules. Because it allows you to then think about how the plot develops. Because we know that this one is very much a... You change the future, you create a new one. Rather than erasing the one you're yes. from. Yeah, you're right, actually. We get a couple of really good lines when Five and Diego are together as well. Like Five calling him a gibbering moron. <laughs> Which also feels like such an old man thing to say. Um, so I love that. And then also when he's like, this is why you don't have any friends. Ironic from Five, who definitely does not have any friends. But is the, the difference there, though, that Five don't care? Whereas Diego secretly does want friends. Oh, yeah, it's true. He um, wants Team Zero. So then, obviously, Five kind of tells the guards what's going on, does a little trick, and uh, we go from Diego being drugged uh, forcibly with a horrible, huge needle uh, to this like beautiful, idyllic farm scene with Fania and her new life. Fun connection between the two scenes, I guess, is when we open on Vanya, she's playing with Harlan, who's playing with a little toy wolf. Ow! Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. And this is also when we learn that Vanya's got no memories of who she is, apart from her name. There's a really cute line from Sissy where she's like, we'll have to get busy making new ones. Which is appropriate given the way we know their relationship ends up. Yeah. Oh, it's so cute. I love them so much. And I think, I think this is where we get 
Sparrow number three, but I might be wrong. It might not. It might have just been a smudge. But I think there is a Sparrow on the record that Harlan puts on and starts playing. I didn't see it, so I can't comment on the veracity of this claim. I'm going to start spotting Sparrows just like in life everywhere now. I'll be like, there, there's a Sparrow. I mean, you do that anyway. Oh, like real birds. Yeah. The Agnes in me. So we get a bit of an insight into who Carl is. Um, Yeah, I think that... He's set up as this sort of nice person. And that's the feeling you get from him. But looking back, there are a few few little warning signs, I think. One, the way he talks about Harlan. He definitely sees him as like this bird and also something being wrong with him a little bit. And like, oh, I'd buy us all a Chevrolet if this boy ever spoke a word or something. Cadillac, I believe Cadillac. it was. But I think also when Vanya starts giving him a little bit of sass, she he does. gets a little bit passive aggressive, doesn't he? Like, oh, has anybody uh, called for you yet? There's a few things you see. You also see the difference in the relationship between how Sissy is with Vanya and Sissy is with Carl. Yeah. And we see the starts of the fact that he's a bigoted prick. Yeah, very agree. That's a, that's how sentences work. Yeah, I think that they play very strongly into like 1960s gender roles. I say 1960s. Those gender roles still exist, but obviously there is less pressure to conform to them I think now hopefully but yeah we kind of see his attitude towards Harlan his attitude towards Sissy the fact that he's just like I'm going out like I'll see you in the morning and his the whole thing of like I'm providing for you I I give you this like this life you need to be grateful to me and that that kind of vibe coming through so from Vanya we go to class and Ben again as they're driving we do see a Statler's restaurant billboard so again we're getting like there's that importance of that um, location. There's one thing that this scene really made me wonder when the car breaks down and they get out and they have to walk for ages. Do ghosts get hot and tired? I was thinking that. It looked like it was getting a bit warm. A bit sweaty. That scene, you definitely see the tension between them, which maybe wasn't as obvious before. Yeah. Though the fight scene, clearly they were having a bit of fun because the fight isn't a serious fight. Yeah. Both of them were clearly having fun when they were playing these these roles a fun thing on that is um justin min shared on twitter one of the lines that they used of like when they're fighting and ben's like have you showered that was chosen but apparently there were other improvised versions of that line including but not limited to my elbows they're sensitive i have kidneys bro and your sweat is dripping on my body and i want to die again the more you know as justin would say I like that bit of trivia. It's fun, isn't it? I like knowing those little sort of improv things that they just come out with that aren't scripted. We also see the thing of... It's done for comedic effects of Klaus and the fighting fighting no one. Yes. But again, starting to see the thing of him being on his own. Mm. Uh, we, saw them, we saw those bits in the last season as well, so it's not a super strong link. Yeah. We also see, once they get to the bar, and this is jumping ahead slightly, but I think it's important to note... Ben can choose not to manifest. Mm-hmm. She's a really interesting one. Because mm-hmm. that also means all the other ghosts that Klaus summons, they're choosing to help him. But also, I suppose, maybe they don't know how to not... Because Ben's been there so long, he's maybe got more control or, or knowledge around this. I feel like it's a choice, because all that Klaus really does is make him physically able to manifest. It doesn't, ch- it doesn't make him do anything. Yeah. It's not like he goes, you're manifested, now do this. It's yeah. just, he gives him the potential to do something. That's true. But yeah, all this frustration leads up to him being like, nope, not going to help you anymore. I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this. 
we have that moment when they're by the car of Ben kind of almost asking Klaus for something which he never really does of being like I want to go back to San Francisco I need to go back I have unfinished business and Klaus is just like nope don't even care what it is not even going to think about it we're going to Dallas that's it yeah you see that selfishness start to come through again yeah which I think leads into what happens in the next scene before that fight though we have Sparrow number three Either three or four, depending on if the record one was real. On the beer pump. On the beer pump. I've got that one on my own. Nice. But yeah, so then we've got the poker game. That's how Klaus and Ben escape slash move on from this this station. It's also how they end up in prison. Yeah. In a future episode. Mm Mm-hmm. The next episode. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Which leads to them coming back together again. Let's move on to Alison. Well, we don't see. Yeah, we don't know it's Alison at first. No. We just see Ray. Yeah, we open with Ray talking about the making the papers with the Southern Justice Coordinating Committee. I think that's the name you're looking for last episode. Yes. Of their group. Did we know if they were a real group or not? I did a quick Google, and it it doesn't look like it. Okay. I'm not sure about. They use lots of other real kind of historical figures and things and events around this, but. I think using a specific group when Alison is so directly involved in it would be a bit... It would detract or, or diminish it slightly, I think. Yes, exactly. But yeah, so we we open with Ray. We see Alison coming down the stairs looking an absolute vision. We, do we hear her first? We hear her first because her voice is back. It's great. We see she can speak again. She comes down the stairs. Obviously, her and Raymond are together and we later find out that they're married and it's Really nice to see Alison looking so happy. I think it's interesting with this as well. We see the start of the kind of tension between the past and future. So obviously Alison knows what happens in the future. She knows that JFK is soon to be assassinated. And unlike Diego, she's chosen not to try and intervene in that in any way or, you know, think she can stop it or anything. So she just has that line about, I don't want you to get your hopes up about him. Do you think that comes from her being powerless for a period of time? between landing and getting to this, this scene. As in, in terms of not doing anything about it? Or yeah, just her do you think she learned to accept? Because she, she couldn't change anything, through mm. powers at least. Yeah. And that influenced her decision to not get involved in that way. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think there is that. I think she knows it's important for these, these things to happen because of whatever consequences they then go on to have. Um, and she can't just... Like, things have to happen for real rather than I guess she's more invested in the future than Diego as well he doesn't probably care about the future changing because he wasn't happy at all whereas she at least has Claire not that she mentions her (laughs) we talked about that last time though too painful the book that Raymond gives her Mm -hmm. he talks about her looking at the moon Mm -hmm. question was she looking at the moon because she's thinking of Luther or looking at the moon because she's like man this thing's going to come down and kill everyone I think a bit of both so I think I think it's probably mostly knowing what's coming but that's part of the fact that the moon did play such a a big role in a lot of ways so that's where luther was and then it's what then happens in 2019 and as far as she knows that's still at the moment what's going to happen when it comes to 2019 so yeah i i think it's that it's knowing what's coming and also remembering that that's how she left things and left her siblings and then we see your new favourite, Lulu. He's not my favourite. 
You're just renaming him. I just like to rename him to go with the like new timeline, new Luther, new Lulu. Yeah. We see him getting smacked about a bit. Yeah. I've already mentioned whether it's is it his face, it's weak or not. Alternative one could be, does he only get hurt when he wants to? Interesting. I don't think he's got that level of control, to be honest, but it would make sense because then when there's the scene, when he's getting the uh, the crap kicked out of him in a later episode, maybe it's because he wants to. Yeah. Uh, it's a combination. I don't know. I think it's just his gorilla body's tough, personally. Again, I think we talked about this a bit last time, but I think in this fight we see straight away, uh, during the fight, this moment of when he looks to Jack Ruby. We don't know Jack Ruby at that point, but he looks for him for when to act. He doesn't... He is again at the kind of whim or or power of, of someone else who's giving him his instructions. Yeah, which we see is very um, close to how he was mm-hmm. with Hargreaves. And then after the fight, he looks very sad, mm. which plays into again the theme, Lulu's theme, <laughs> of being a big sad boy. We go to the hairdressers after that, and I haven't got anything specific to mention in this scene... Other than the fact that we see the start of the... We see the, the positioning of this civil rights movement and Alison within it. And the fact that they're non-violent. Yeah. Which I feel is very important, especially given, like, Alison's decision to generally, like, take an approach that doesn't involve her powers. Which I guess you could see as a form of violence, even though they're not physically violent. Yeah, it's interesting to think about how much that influenced Alison versus the thing that kind of Alison was coming to anyway and also wanted to like bring into this with Ray but yeah I think we also see like Ray taking on that leader role but that actually Alison's a really big part of that she's there with him kind of at the the sort of head of it with bringing ideas and she suggests the location for the sit-in um she kind of brings a lot of her kind of strategic thinking I guess to it which is nice to see and again like she never really got given any kind of like leadership role before she was she was number three because Hargreaves is a patriarchal twat yeah very that and also I think the whole like non-violence thing it also just reminded me obviously there's like a lot of other history there with that but they're like more contemporary parallel to it that it reminded me of of the like whatever they do to us like we will act with honor and dignity it reminded me of like Michelle Obama's when they go low we go high <sighs> and then Mr. Mason turns up, and I have to say, even watching it again, it makes me physically angry and upset. When you see that, that still happens, is the first thing to know. That kind of attitude still happens. We've seen it. We've seen the videos of people using the police as a weapon against um, black indigenous people of colour, and how that then is this tool of using your position as a white person to effectively we- weaponizing your race to attack someone else. And, oh, mm-hmm. oh, bloody, I was fuming. Watching it again, I'm spitting feathers. Mm-hmm. Putting the foot in, oh, that's assault. You know, I'm glad she bloody kicked him. Yeah. I know that it leads to whatever later on, but can hell, give him a smack. All of them. Yeah. I think... I'm really angry right now. I'll take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It is it is extremely upsetting and enraging, to be honest. And I think the writers did a really good job of capturing, you know, maybe what that would have looked like at the time, but also in a way that you, you still feel it today. It's so petty as well, the, the things that he does. 
to try and assert his power over them and it's just disgusting it really helps set the tone of what they're fighting against yes of what it is that matters it's not just not being allowed to sit it's not just oh you're not allowed to sit down in this diner ever it's it's a deeper attitude and yeah sadly it does still exist mm-hmm. so from this scene we go back to vanya and sissy we have a really nice moment with Vanya coming into the kitchen looking for some midnight cake. We've all been there. And Sissy's there and she's clearly got this secret, but it's something that she is like comfortable and safe sharing with Vanya. And they have got a relationship where they are comfortable with each other to do that. Although it kind of also feels like this is maybe one of the first moments that they actually kind of share things on this level, I think. But the, the way she reacts, she, she kind of laughs about it because Vanya's like, are you smoking? And it's, it's very playful. And then I also noted that the song that plays in this moment is, uh, is called Be Thankful You're You, mm. which is nice because obviously there's a lot of homophobia in this and the idea that, that comes in later that, that Carl pedals of... Um, Foot on mouth. He compares it to a disease, doesn't yes, he? Yes, he does. So I think this is the, the we're seeing them being comfortable with each other here and accepting of who they both are and and like appreciative of of who they both are as people. Uh, more to the point, and we have that excellent line in the barn. I never would have guessed you had such a rebellious side. <laughs> Men have sides. Women have secrets. Do you think that's universal? Like so true now. I think it's referring to the fact that men are allowed to be multifaceted, but women aren't, like at that time period. And how relevant still is it? I think there's definitely still relevance to it. Again, like I said before, with the sort of gender roles thing, maybe not in as pronounced a way, but we still live under patriarchy, so it's still a thing. And, I, you know... It's something that you see a lot in in film and TV, in media, in characters and female characters, and and how three dimensional they really are. And it's the, something that you see even more so with women of color. The Bechdel test kind of is an example of that kind of a very crude measure of that. That how many films fail to have women discuss something other than men, or even have a conversation with each other. And and are named. And have names. Yeah. I've got the full test. Oh my god. Yeah. What a state. There's also this kind of foreshadowing, almost, I guess, knowing what comes where she says, good men still leave or die. And debatable whether Carl's a good man. I don't think he is. But he does end up dying and she does end up having to fend for herself. That's not necessarily a bad thing. She wanted to, I think really she wanted to escape all of that anyway. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting looking back with that future knowledge. So from there, we go back to Diego waking up in a padded cell in a straight jacket, which is horrible to see. Yeah, it looks, it's the disorientation, there's, there's a sadness to it. Maybe it's because of the music. Yeah, that excellent cover of Crazy, the Nas Barkley song. Yeah. And I mean, it's also horrible to see because he like dislocates his shoulder to get out of the straight jacket. You know, he then gets his pen out to pick the lock. Yeah. I wonder, do you think they'd pat him down, wouldn't you, before they put them in a padded cell in a straight jacket? But maybe not, maybe they don't care. But if I'd... he's in a straight jacket, then what's he going to do? Pop his shoulder out, <laughs> fling it over his head, pull it off, do all... What's he going to do? He does it. <laughs> yeah, but they don't They don't expect that. How many other people would, would do that? But he's got that? a pen. He might... He could get out and stab someone. Do you think they'd check him regularly? True. Maybe he hit it up his... 
bum. It was in his waistband. Oh, whatever. And then we get the Swedes arriving. And I mean, my main thing was this is why are they bothering with the milk thing? What's I the thought point? that. Why are you bothering, mate? Just you could a, just shoot him straight after. Like, was it just for funsies? Like, here's your milk. Ba-choo. I feel like it is. Like, they are a bit weird. The they are. cats and stuff. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, so that's happening. And I really love Diego's line when he gets out of his cell and, and uh, the, the guard sees him and he's like, I'm sleepwalking. <laughs> but yeah, then... I mean, he's not a guard, is he? He's a... There's a word for him, isn't there? Like a... No, the doctors, it's the, like, porters or orderly? something. Orderly? Orderly. Is it that? Yeah, he's an orderly. All right, well, he's a horrible man. Things get a little bit disorderly after the Swedes turn up. <laughs> well, we'll see what you did there. And then Lila saves him. I love her little wolf howl. Nice little throwback to their conversation. And she... Is that when she calls him wolf boy? She calls him wolf man. You're not the only one who wants out, wolf man. Ah, what's my son? But yeah, I think we start to see some of um, Lila's uh, hidden depths, maybe. First of all, when she pops his shoulder back in, because who knows how to do that. But they get a bit, bit hot and steamy almost they, before that. Yeah, they do. There is so much sexual tension between them. It's incredible. But yeah, and then we see her like fighting skills as well when they when they the guards come later and she so, says... Is it a guard or is it like a police? It must be a security it's, I think it's security. Um, and she says she learned it from her mother. Yeah, which we know is the handler. Mm-hmm. I like how the Swedes don't hurt any of the other patients. So another one of these things where, you know, there's nothing much to get for it story-wise, but excellent action scene. There's always good action scenes in this show. Mm-hmm. Very well done, very stylish, good music. Yeah, I read actually as well that... Um, Steve Blackman always uh, puts the music or the music that he wants in the scene in the script. It's not a choice that comes afterwards. I thought it was something like that. So it's always like, it's a very, very big part of the show, Um, which you know when you're watching it, really. Speaking of music, we then cut to Lulu in the bar with the song playing You Only Want Me When You're Lonely. This is when we get, we, I think we find out that the guy who was in the fight, who was his kind of fight boss person earlier is Jack Ruby. Do we know it's Jack or is he the boss or does he call him Jack? He calls him Mr. Ruby. Ah, Mr. Ruby. So like maybe... He's like, who's that half-wit bothering Mr. Ruby? And then I think the waitress, Autumn, maybe calls him Jack. See, the one thing is, I didn't know who Jack Ruby was. No, same. See, in the next episode, I think, where the, where Five does a little bit of exposition for him, he's like, Jack Ruby? You mean the guy who shot Lee Harvey Oswald? Yeah. Still don't know, by the way. It's never established by the end of it why they all end up in job roles that are related to JFK. Like we never know what it is, right? Apart from Vanya isn't, I guess. The Carl obviously is trying to sell something to Jack Ruby, but we never... You know, all the rest of them, they're all in things that are related in some way to JFK. It's just the hands of fate. Um... You, did you notice in the background, when Carl was talking to Jack Ruby, a man with sunglasses on by any chance? No. It's one of the Majestic 12. Mm. Is he there to make sure things go ahead the way he wants? Is Mm. he... I couldn't tell if he was sat with them or near them, but it's definitely the the guy with shades who's like the leader of the Majestic 12 or seems to be in some way. In my head, I always think of him as a blues brother. Mm. But um, he was sat with them and I noticed him when we first watched it. I was like, well, that guy's very conspicuous. But then it became more obvious. But anyway, that's that's my only thing that I really noticed. You get five showing a bit of vulnerability as well when he talks to Luther. Yeah. But he's like, I don't give a shit. Again, Luther is not happy to see five. 
Yeah, didn't they blame him? Yeah, they're all angry at him because they've ended up alone in this weird time period. They don't know what's going on and they think it's Five's fault, even though he saved them from death. But hey, that's that's siblings for you. Quick question. Mm-hmm. We see the start of Five trying to round them all up here, yeah? Yeah. But in the version of the, fu- of the future-ish, the, the Soviets attack the US... How did they all come together without five? Yeah, that's actually one of the questions I had when we watched it the first time. How are they all here? What are they all doing? I don't know. I really want to know. I guess, let's assume, Vanya goes to get... Vanya goes to get Carl, and so meets Luther. Klaus and Alison come together without five. Mm-hmm. But how did Diego get out? He'd have broken himself out. That was still the same. He was going to... He shaved down the bars on his yeah. window. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's that again. Like that's a whole other timeline. Like we have basically two apocalypses in season one. This is like two apocalypse. Well, this is a different version of the timeline where maybe where Hazel didn't appear and pull five back. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. Oh, but yeah, and I think it's a nice it's a nice way to end the episode. As five kind of does this little like monologue to Luther. I get it. Okay, I know what it's like to be stuck in time thinking this is how you're going to live out the rest of your life. On the run. And not knowing if you're ever going to see the people you love again. And to be in an unfamiliar world. But Luther, you're not alone. We have to find the others because the world ends again in 10 days. I have no idea how to stop it. We see where everyone else is. So we've seen that Klaus has arrived in Dallas with Ben, but he gets arrested. Diego and Lila are on the run now. They've got away, but they're on the run. Raymond and Allison are adorable and like curled up on the sofa together because they're couple goals. And then Vanya and Sissy are having their moment in the barn, smoking together. But that ends with Five making the point that Luther, to Luther that he's not alone this time. He's not alone anymore. They're here now, they can get back together. We have to find the others. And Luther's just like, nope. I don't give a shit. Because you only want me when you're lonely, Five. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. What do you think of the episode? I really enjoyed it again for a second time. Um, I would give it like at least an 8 out of 10. I think they lay the groundwork for a lot of things that happen in the season very early on. I think you get invested in a lot of the relationships, like the new relationships, very quickly as well. Yeah, I agree with that. It played enough into following on from season one without feeling like direct extension that would have just, you know, they they still feel like two distinct things. Yeah, I think when I initially watched it, I was like, what? I want to know, like, I want that information of what happened immediately when when they landed and how they got to these places, which, I mean, we kind of get with, like, Diego... It's mainly Klaus and Alison, I think, that are the ones that you really want to find out more about. And you do later, so it's fine. But yeah, I guess that's it as well. They, they definitely leave you with um, a lot of unanswered questions that you want to find out what happens in the next episode. It made for very good binge watching, I've got to say. I think it also does a very good job, actually, of setting up what appear to be all of the kind of roles where in my head I'm thinking they set up the Swedes and the commission as being the threat. What they don't do is let on about the handler. 
mm-hmm. which is good because it means you, you go into it thinking that's, oh, yeah, it's them trying to stop them again or whatever. And then that gets switched up on you. Yeah. Which if they hadn't done that, you would have been less shock, like less of a shock. Definitely. No, I thought it was great. And we had some really good musical moments again as well, as we kind of really touched on. It's such a big part of the show. And like, you know, the opening sequence with My Way was brilliant. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was great. How would you rate it? I don't want to rate it. I don't want to rate it. I think I think it was very good. That's my rating. Very good. Mir and Josh, seal of approval. Yeah. So that is it for episode one of season two. We would love to know your thoughts. Hopefully, you're not watching and listening along because there's been a lot of spoilers in this. If you want to give us your thoughts about episode two, you can do that by going to the link on the top of our Twitter page. Should also be one on our Instagram page, and that should be as simple as going to the website hitting record and leaving us your thoughts yeah it's super easy or also you can feel free to send them to us on twitter or instagram at brolly buddies or drop us an email at brollybuddies at gmail.com until next time bye see you then ta-da <laughs>